0: Welcome. We're so glad that each and every one of you guys are here. And man, what an amazing group of guys we have uh, with us. And we're all together today. This is I don't know that this has ever been done before. We have four pastors from four different backgrounds, from four different churches, four different cities. And and we're all talking with one voice today. We got Jimmy Rollins from I-5 City in Baltimore. We have Earl McClellan from Shoreline City in Dallas. And we have Chris Durso uh, from Saints Church in New York City. I'm Jeremy with Hope City in Houston, Texas. And man, Guys, I'm so honored to be with each of you. You guys are all looking sharp. Uh, Earl, I mean, you look like you're in the military. You look amazing. That jacket that jacket has to be hot because you on fire, baby. Thank all right. you. Thank you. We're, g- <laughs> we're going to have a great time today. And we're going to be talking about something that we feel like needs to be talked about. We had a conversation a few weeks ago. And it's something um, that our nation has needed to talk about for a long time. And that's the topic of racism, uh, bigotry, hatred, and truly just valuing difference if we would just get to a point where we value difference here's the truth children are not born racist it's something that they learn over time here's what we do know they're not born racist they're not born bigoted but they are born with the ability to see difference and over time if difference isn't valued then difference is feared and what's feared is rejected. Um, my 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 brother, his daughter, they live in New Orleans. His daughter's nine years old, and she's in a predominantly African-American dance troupe, and when I say predominantly African-American, she's the only um, little white girl in the dance troupe, and it's the cutest thing because this girl's got moves. I mean, she can shake. I mean, she can shake. She's, she's good. She got it, and so she did a little Christmas um, program um, with all the girls in the dance troupe, and she was talking to her mom and dad um, right before it started. She said, Mom, Dad, here's how you're going to be able to tell it's me. Here's how you're going to be able to See me um, amongst all the other girls. I'm gonna have the pink tutu on. A bunch of them were wearing purple. Some of them were wearing red. I'm the only one wearing pink. And my brother was like, "Got it. I think we'll be able to to see you shining white face." And I love that because what's happened is she's she's learned the value of difference. And over time, if you don't expose your children to difference and the value. Of difference then they'll be afraid of it. Um, Nelson Mandela said um, we're, kids aren't born um, with hatred you're not born uh, to hate you're taught to hate and if you can be taught to hate then you can be taught to love and there's four things um, that we want to give you today that we think will teach you to love that we think will teach you to value difference and the first one is simply this you have to listen intently you have to listen intently you can't listen hoping you get an opportunity to talk you have to listen in order to listen, and, uh, and having said that, I want to pitch the first question to Jimmy Rollins, I-5 City in Baltimore, such a powerhouse pastor, man. I've heard a lot of people say this, you know, I'm colorblind. I don't see color. Now, it's mostly, it's mostly white people who say that, so tell me, is it bad to see color, or is that something um, that we shouldn't do? Well, first, thank you uh, for asking the question. Thank you
1: for hosting and being a part of the uh, allowing us to be a part of the conversation, uh, our church is really uh, trying to pave the way here in our city and diversity. And and I think Jeremy, the question that you're asking and posing is, is so important because you know when even when we're talking about TV, like if I told you, uh, you know that you weren't going to look at a color TV, you'd be like, no, I see color, right? But the the value of seeing color is important. Like I am black, you are white, like you do wear cowboy boots, I do wear J's, like it's okay, like to see our differences. We are different, I am different, my hair is different, I get ashier a lot faster even than Earl, you know what I mean, like we all are different even within the same ethnic background. And what I've come to find out with this whole listen, uh, that people don't wanna listen to our differences, and here's the thought that I have is simply this, That if you don't acknowledge my differences, you won't appreciate my experiences. And so if we don't acknowledge each other's differences, I don't believe that we can say, yes, your experience is different. And so I think in this thing of listening is if we're going to listen, let's listen not to respond, but let's listen to
0: understand. That's great. And, and Chris, your experience is varied and different in New York City. You were raised in New York City. Um, what is your experience with racism in New York City? I mean, obviously, it's still prevalent. What is your experience?
2: Yeah, I mean, racism is, is prevalent. It happens in New York. Uh, I grew up seeing different variations of it. Um, but I'll tell you what, the most shocking, most shocking moment for me in my life was actually not in New York. It was actually while I was going to school in Cleveland, Tennessee. And I'll never forget one of my, my classmates uh, looking at a picture of my, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife. And my wife is Colombian and German. And he looked at the picture and he goes, uh, she, she looks white, but she don't look white-white. And um, he goes, what nationality is she? And I said, um, I said well, she's, she's Colombian and German. And he goes... Colombian? Is that like Mexican? And I was like, no, that's like Colombia. It's like a completely different, like not at all. different country. <laughs> and then he just, he looked at me and he paused for a second and he goes, man, my church would never allow that. And that was the moment that my mind was blown because I've never seen racism within the church. So I've seen it in other places. I've seen it on media. I've seen it on news. Um, I've had different moments growing up. But when I realized that racism was in the church, that a church would say, stay within your people group, only date people or marry people that look like you. That's where I, my whole mind was blown. And I thought, man, we have to, we have to shift this whole narrative. That can't, that can't exist in the church
0: because that's not who Jesus is. Well, we have to confront it. it, it you know, if you don't, it, you'll lose what you won't confront. And if we don't confront this, um, then we lose the value in our difference. Earl, a lot of people say that, you know, I don't know, race isn't just, is not an issue for me. Can you talk talk towards that?
3: Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, both Jimmy and, and Chris are, are bringing up some beautiful points. And I love the story about your niece, right? <laughs> Saying, I'm the one in the, perp- in, in the pink. How adorable uh, is that? Uh, but in, in this world that we live in, Um, I heard a friend of mine, he was talking about uh, in his book, it's called The Third Option. And in this book, he's talking about something called right-hand bias. I'd never heard of this before. Now, I actually am right-handed. And I don't really ever think about left-handed people. None of my kids are even left-handed. But he was talking in the book about how uh, this world that we live in was built by right-handed people. And and if you're right-handed, you're like, what are you talking about? But every left-handed person knows exactly what I'm talking about. Because when you go get a coffee mug, it's built for a right-handed person. You gotta hold it in your right hand and the words are facing towards you. If you're left-handed, you're like, Dag on it, the words are faced the wrong direction. If you're in school, you're trying to write on a really weird angle. Matter of fact, sometimes a right-handed person, I would see a left-handed person writing, and I'm like, why are you turning the paper like that? Yeah, why why is your wrist doing that? And you can go down the line. Thing after thing after thing is built for right-handed people. Now, is it because right-handed people said, hey, we got a conspiracy against all left-handed people. Left-handed people, we can't stand you. No, know, I think they were saying, hey, we're gonna to try to build something that works for us and we're not trying to necessarily think about other folks who don't have this same leaning. And I think the same thing has taken place in not only in America, but in all different parts of the world. And in America, I know very many times we talk about a black, white issue, but but we have obviously Hispanics and we got Asians, and we've got uh, Polynesians, we got folks from all different parts of the world. In Guatemala, you've got different issues happening. In other parts of the world, you've got different people groups. And whoever is in power is the one that builds a system that works for them. So in America, the ones who have built the systems, these were predominantly right-handed
0: people Well, it's white people and it's okay it's okay for us to say that because <laughs> yes. it's not my
3: experience and and so we have to learn there's something else there that we exactly. need to learn from exactly so since we have a world that was built by right-handed people or at least America and other parts of the world whatever the the right hand is that those the people of power We as the body of Christ, though, we have a call, an obligation, a a mandate, honestly, an honor to be the ones that, that lean into not just the right hand, but also the left hand. And we get to be the ones that help bring both hands together because we all know the right hand is not better than the left hand and the left hand is not better than the right hand. But it's when our hands are working together that we're able to make it on earth as it is in
2: heaven. Yeah, that's that's what makes this conversation so beautiful, right? That's what makes it so needed, because even though we are in America, we are not building the church of America. We are building kingdom, and we love all people, and we want to see all people reached. That's why conversations like this are so important. They need to happen, because we're not trying to build what someone else was building. We're trying to tear all
0: of that down so we could build kingdom, Amen. And the kingdom is crucially important. I mean, I think I think if you look at Jesus's message, it was constantly kingdom, 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 king. That was the message of Jesus. And if you look at if you look at somebody who has a problem with their brother, it really doesn't have anything to do with their brother. It's usually a father issue. I have a problem with my brother because I have an issue with my father. And if I reconcile with my father, then I can actually restore with my brother. Look no further than Cain and Abel. Cain killed Abel not because he was mad at Abel. He killed Abel because he was mad at his father. And if I get reconciled with my father in the kingdom then I can actually love my brother Jimmy you have a revelation on John chapter 4 with when Jesus said hey I have to go through Samaria I want you to talk about that because when you when you told me about that it was just mind blowing
1: absolutely well if you look at John chapter 4 the word talks about that Jesus was on his way to Galilee Uh, and if you study that passage many people would go around Samaria uh, and avoid Samaritans but Jesus says something he changes The game, right? He decides to take this personal uh, and he decides, you know what, I'm gonna lean in personally. And he says, we have to go through
0: Samaria. You can't avoid it. Because that's really the second thing we really need to do. We need to, we can listen intently, but we also need to lean in personally.
1: Absolutely. We have to take it upon ourselves for all of us to go through Samaria. It is not the the church in the hood's responsibility to go through Samaria. It is not people of just color, black people to go through Samaria. Everybody has areas that they avoid because of the preferences that they have. And when Jesus says, I have to go through Samaria, he was leaning in personally and he was changing the game because he realized that if I'm going to reach and take this kingdom to Samaritan people, I'm going to have to have a conversation personally with a Samaritan woman. And that brings this kingdom mindset back into play. The kingdom mindset is the kingdom is a has a king. That kingdom has a government. That government has citizens. Those citizens. Citizens are my brothers and sisters that when I am in Christ, my ethnic culture is a subculture to the kingdom culture. Not that I neglect the black side of my hand, but I also look at the white side of my hand when we're talking about hands, but understanding that we are Different and many people have tried to avoid it and they don't want to they don't want to be in on hard conversations like I've had with my dad through this and my dad telling me when he went to Vietnam and he was drafted by white America to go fight for a country that did not fight For black people. And when he was over there, he's all of the segregation and all of the people at the bar, the white people over here and the black people over here. And he even said this, the the, the disparity went away when they were in the foxhole. And here's the deal. If we're all fighting for the same thing, which is kingdom, then the disparity goes away. And one of the most uh, awful, tragic things that he said that he experienced there is when he was there, Martin Luther King was assassinated and someone said to him, look, we killed your leader. This is someone he's fighting next to every single day. And so guess what? Yes, we have to take this. Personally, to have these conversations so that we don't pass these down to our children. It's going to be us going through Samaria, talking to a Samaritan woman where everyone else goes off and and does their own thing. And I love how Jesus modeled this. And let me ask you, let me encourage everyone who's listening to this.
0: It's time for us to go through Samaria. Chris, I think you have an understanding on this. I want you to expound upon uh, the woman at the well a little bit more.
2: If you read in the message translation, Eugene Peterson actually suggests the way that he narrates the text is that when the disciples came back and saw Jesus talking to the woman, it says, which we all know, they were wondering why he was talking to this woman. But the way the message translation puts it is that their their presence of, of shock was so overwhelming for her that she drops her water jug and leaves As if she was good with Jesus, but now his disciples made her now feel those same feelings that were were unfamiliar for the moment. They they were gone for a few moments. And this this is what we do. This is what we screw up. Because the disciples aren't good followers, they, they show up, and then, and then after this beautiful conversation, they, they say something on the back end, and my, my prayer for, for this moment is that I'm praying, God, would your Holy Spirit fall in our homes and where people are watching it, so that so in such a way that that disciple won't show up on the back end and then screw up the whole conversation and now make the person feel like they're no longer included, and like the, the moment of inclusion was just a 30-minute sermon. Like this is how we're supposed to live, that we're supposed to be able to do this thing together forever and it wasn't just a window of opportunity. That's why the woman leaves and goes back to the town. It's not necessarily that she was just excited and I love that I preached that point before but what about the reality that she no longer felt welcomed? After she got what she got from Jesus, and this is what Christians do, we screw it up so much because we like the idea of rolling with the Jesus, but taking on his lifestyle and accepting a woman at midday, that was a Samaritan, I like how that sounds, and guess what, they were used to that, by the way, because this was a culture of, of where, where religion was taught, not felt. Jesus actually had to send them away. What other time in the scripture do we find Jesus sending away his disciples so that he could be alone with a woman? The only other time we read in the disciple that Jesus sends the disciples away is when he goes on the side of the mountain to pray and then they go into the lake. But this moment he had to send them away. Why? Because the disciples might have screwed up the whole conversation. I want to be the kind of disciple that stands with my brothers, no matter what they look like. It says, man, let's, let's have all the tough conversations about anyone that's been marginalized.
0: I think this is what's got to happen. It's understanding and, and continued conversation. I, that's such a revelation, Chris, that, that Jesus can do the work and we can mess it all up if we don't have love one for another.
3: Earl, what are your What are your thoughts? This is, again, a right-handed world, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even mad at that, It just—that that is what it is. I'm just trying to learn how to navigate as best I possibly can by being true to who I am, because I'm not trying to cover up being black. I love that I'm black. I love that God made me like this. I, I'm thankful for it, but I remember my son, when he was four years old, scratching his skin And we're like, why are you doing that? He goes, well, I was wondering if this brown would come off. Huh. Well, I'm almost not doing a good enough job. Painting a picture for you of how beautiful it is to how God made you, because he made you exactly how he was supposed to make you. And thankfully, you know, he's 15 now and he's all about being black. <laughs> so, so I'm glad we, we got that in line. But dang, man, I mean, this is, this is the world. This is the world we live in. And again, I'm not even mad about it, it's just, it's just the reality. Gosh, man, you know, this stuff is hard. There's no doubt about it. I I think for a lot of folks who are even watching this right now, uh, we're uncomfortable with Samaria, as you said, because it's, it's unknown, right? I mean, what's gonna happen to me there? Um, I've seen on the news that this can happen, or that can happen, or, you know, all those people are like this, or or they're like that, and and we're getting our information uh, from social media or from news headlines. Uh, But just to make it really, really honest, and you, you shared that incredibly moving story about your father, you know, hearing such difficult words in a foxhole, I mean, we bring this to the year that we are all in now. And right now, I do not feel the freedom to go and run in my neighborhood at night. Right right now and it's not because I believe everyone out. There's a racist I actually don't think that I think most people are not racist But what I do know is a lot of people have some bias Towards a person of color and I'm wondering if I'm running at night and I'm six two and I'm a hundred whatever pounds And I look a little bit intimidating who might they call on me? What might they do? And I just know these things are in my, they're in my head. No, it might not even be reality, but some of the different things that happen in our day and age, like the shooting of this young man that took place you know, in February of 2020, it reminds me running could be problematic for me. Maybe even running during the day
0: well, you said something about how it, some of it might be in your head and some of it might be, you know, that might not be real, but the truth is a lot of it is real and, and, and a, lot of, a lot of the racism and bigotry and hatred is not called out enough. And I think it's not called out enough by white pastors. I think, I think African-American pastors for a long time have been saying, hey, this is real. It's happening. But we have to actually do point number three, and that is learn purposely. I have to actually purpose myself to learn what somebody else is going through. Jimmy, I've never been followed through a store, but you don't, you rarely go through a store where you're not followed. There are people watching right now who don't even know that exists. They don't even know that experience happens. In fact, I didn't know it until I built enough bridges and relationships where I could listen intently and hear somebody and learn purposely. And they tell me, Hey, this is real. Can you tell me about your experience with some of that? And some of the, some of the things that concern you as it, as it, as it pertains to your son and your family? Absolutely. I think that, uh,
1: what I'm finding, uh, is that most white people don't understand what it is like to enter into a room where you can't assume you're welcome. Uh, Entering into a room that you have to prove yourself that you're not what they saw on MSNBC or CNN or whatever news station that they have watched. It's hard to get past these stereotypical thoughts and you want to introduce yourself to them, but all they see is your skin color. And they're waiting for how you talk. And then what we have is fear. We have, uh, you know, the African-American community fearing being accepted. And then we have the white community fearing, am I pigeonholed? Even my white friends who aren't racist. Most of my white friends who aren't, they're not racist. Right. But what I have found out is when I enter into a room, there's two people. There's people that uh, are ignorant of understanding what my everyday looks like and then people who are intended. Ignorance and intention. That's where we're in between or that's what we're fighting against. Ignorance is I don't know. I don't understand. Mm -hmm. Intention is I know and I chose not to be involved. It is I know and I chose not to care or I know and I just chose to be racist. And I believe that we need to once we find once we know more, we have to do better and every day we have to learn every day paul says i became all things to all people in order to win the more the message translation says i entered into their world and tried to experience things from their point of view he goes on and says i did it because of the gospel, the gospel message is for anybody, everybody and everyone. If anyone is thirsty, let them come to me and drink. It says, for God so loved the world that whosoever, I want to be counted in the anyone, the everyone and the whosoever. This is not a black gospel. This is not a white gospel. This Man. is a,
0: a red gospel. This is a Jesus gospel. Learn. We got to learn each other. Well, and that's the truth. Compassion isn't compassion without courage. I can't just go, oh man, I I, I wish that wouldn't have happened if I don't speak up, if I don't say something. Chris, I want to pitch it to you because Jesus' response was so powerful to this woman. What do you think our response should be as white pastors, as leaders, as as people who understand more? How should we respond to this? With revelation comes responsibility. So what do we do about it? Jesus knew what he was doing. He was talking to a woman. This is a male talking to a woman.
2: Secondly, he's talking to a woman at midday, which would suggest that this woman had made some mistakes in her life. And thirdly, she was a Samaritan woman. And yet none of that stopped Jesus from having the conversation. Here's what I love about Jesus. He goes after it. He was intentional. He cared so much about this woman, just like Jimmy pointed out. He didn't go around Samaria like so many people did. He went through And this is it right here. We can't just be aware of an issue and settle there. We have to be aware and respond. Because if you are aware of an issue, but not willing to take on the issue, you are the issue. And this is what we're talking about. So when you talk about white pastors are aware of something and choose not to do anything about it, this is the issue. It's not just offering empathy, but it's using our voices corporately, whether it's giving up a Sunday, whether it's utilizing social media. Let's have the conversation because it exists. And it exists so much, it's a problem that we're not going to just allow to linger. The same way that if there's a dirty pile in your home, you don't just leave the dirty pile there. If you have if you have a a light out in your home, you're not going to just leave it out. You fix it because it's a problem. This is a problem in our world, and yet it's been ignored for too long.
0: Earl, I want you to talk to that because your experiences are so powerful and you're also a powerful man of God. You understand some things. She shows up at noonday in the heat of the day. What does that say about us?
3: Yeah, it's so fascinating. And Chris, you bring up such a great point. Here it is, noon, right? And this woman shows up to draw water at noon. This is the Middle East. It's hot at noon. Why would she be there at that time? To your point, so many scholars are saying, Hey, she's trying to avoid when everybody else goes there in the morning, bright and early, before the sun is able to rise. That's when everybody usually went, when it was nice and cool. But this woman goes at noon. She is willing to to put herself, if you will, uh, in, in a spot where it's hot and it's lonely. And I'm just wondering, what is she thinking on her way to the well? Like, what's going through her head? And I just wonder... What's going through the head of a lot of us, even as we're sitting here? Some of us are thinking, I'm so glad the church is finally having this conversation. And some people are thinking, I wish this conversation would go away. It makes me so uncomfortable. I'm not a racist. Matter of fact, I feel uncomfortable even talking about this because I don't even know what to say. And you, Chris, talking about conversation and all of us talking about conversation and what we're having here is a conversation. I think this woman, when she's on her way to the well, what Jesus does is he takes the mask off of her. He says, hey, you don't have to wear that thing anymore. You don't have to cover up anymore. You can, uh, let let, let me see your insecurity. Let me see your fear. Let me see that you don't know what to say or how to say it. And I think in the midst of this whole struggle, this whole uh, issue, Uh, We got one pandemic going on in our world, but there's a whole nother issue going on right now. And that is individuals not being willing to say, I'm gonna take off the mask and allow my savior to get to the parts of me that he really needs to get to. And that's what Jesus is after. So even all of us on this call, none of us here are perfect. Jimmy and I can't speak for all black people. We don't even have women on here. We don't have Polynesians on here. We don't have Hispanics on here. There's a whole bunch of groups we don't have on here, but we all understand what it's like to wear a mask. We all understand what it's like to have self-talk that's tearing our, our tearing ourselves down. But Jesus here says, hey, I know about your life. You don't have to hide it anymore. Let's talk And it's in that conversation that the freedom happened. And this woman turns her community right side up for the cause of Jesus Christ. I think it's powerful too
0: that, that Jesus constantly built bridges. If you look at the story of the Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10, the Good Samaritan, a, a, a man asks Jesus, Hey, you know, what do I need to do? He tells them the first and greatest commandments. And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells him this story about a guy who was beat up and left on the side of the road, bleeding and a priest walks by and gets on the other side of the street and a Levite walks by and gets on the other side of the street. And then a Samaritan walks by who is essentially hated in the Jewish community. They had a problem in those days and the Samaritan crosses from the other side of the street to the hurting man, heals his wounds, takes him to a hotel, pl- pays the bill and, and, and Jesus looks at him and says uh, who's, who's the good neighbor here and he says well it was the man who showed mercy And I think it's unique that now it's not the priest, it's not the Levite, it's not the the, the Samaritan. He's known now by the fact that he showed mercy. And I think it's also unique that Jesus did not tell him who his neighbor was. I think that's our problem. We keep saying, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus says, that's not the question. The question is, how do you be a good neighbor? And the way that I become a good neighbor is to go get into your world, ever how broken and busted up and messed up and whatever your experience is, I need to know it. I need to feel it. Jimmy, you have, you have talked to me about conversations you've had with your son that I'll never have with my kids. In fact, Earl, Jimmy, I get to leave, Chris and I get to leave this conversation. You don't. Talk about the conversation you've had with Jaden, Jimmy. Uh, my son, uh, you know, 17,
1: and uh, when he got his license, man, he was so excited. And honestly, the day he got his license, I cried that night. And uh, my wife said, what's wrong? And I was like, I'm realizing... The conversations that I have to have with my son and he reminded me during this whole you know tragedy of you know Ahmad Arbery he said there's not been one time since I got my license for the last year and a half that you have not texted me or said to me hey make sure you take your hood off hey make sure you take your skull cap off hey don't play your music too loud in the car uh, and he understands the why behind that and I remember when he found out about Ahmad Arbery He said, Dad, why is this happening? And I said something that uh, I want to take back at some point. I said, this is just the world we live in. And I realized at that moment. But I also proclaim as a pastor that the church is the hope of the world. And the Bible says, like you said, Jeremy, when Jesus looked at the crowds, he had compassion on them. The problem is, as many pastors are only looking at the crowds inside the four walls of the church and not the crowds on the four corners of the earth. And it's time for us to look at the crowds and have compassion because here's the deal. And I've decided, I'll be honest with you, when I see things like this, I want to quit. I want to give up. But I realize that my dad's sacrifice and my son's future empowers me to stay involved in the conversation and keep talking. Yes, some of you have the privilege of never having that conversation with any of your kids. And I want to be like that one day. That we can level the playing field. I don't want superiority. I just want equality. And here's the thing, anything
0: short of equality is not progress. That's the truth. Well, the bottom line is the world is not getting better. I keep hearing people say, well, the world's getting better. We're advancing. No, our technology is advancing. We're still the same people. We're still finding new ways to sin. And until we come to Jesus, change won't happen. Tim Ross said this. He said, we will continue to legislate and incarcerate society in order to control the outcome unless we are restored to the Father. And I believe that's absolutely true. Chris, how do we do it, man? What do we do? How do we move forward from this? Yeah, well, first off. You know, I'm so sorry that we live in a world like this. And I wish I
2: could apologize on behalf of all people. But I will say, as a, as a pastor, it is our job to work from the inside of our churches and making sure that we're taking this, this Jesus message, this, this message of Jesus that says, I love all people and I'm for all people, no matter what they look like. Because remember, Jesus was an American and Jesus was not white. He had a message for all. Say that again for the people in the back because some people don't know that. Right. Jesus was not American and Jesus was not white. He was for all people. And the fact of the matter is that we do live in a world that is getting darker and darker. This is the church's opportunity, though, to shine brighter and brighter. So we could we could work from the inside and have conversations and give up our Sundays and make sure that we rid our churches of racism. And we have conversations amongst the saints, amongst the believers, amongst the Christians, and make sure that there is no divide because you can't be against someone else and for God. He says, I want you to love me, and just like you love me, I want you to love your neighbor. Which neighbor? All neighbors. The one that lives to the left of you, the one that lives to the right of you, the one that uses their left hand, and the one that uses their right hand. I want you to love them, and this should be our goal as a church from this moment forward. I, I, I love that I don't have to worry about my son. I hate that I have to worry about Jimmy's. I don't want us to worry about any of our children, because guess what? My son and Jimmy's son and Earl's son and Jeremy, your children, they're all friends and they love each other and they love Jesus. We should live in a world where anyone could jog wherever they need to jog and they could drive wherever it is that they feel like driving
0: man I, I'm, I'm
3: speechless, Earl to hear to hear these words from from you. To hear these words from you, men of God, means more to me than you could ever possibly imagine. And I know to all the the churches and the people that are listening to this, I I know these words have to mean something to you as well. Because here it is, we're saying we've all messed up. And we're saying we live in this broken world. We're also saying Jesus Christ and this glorious gospel has the power to make what is wrong right. But we cannot make what is wrong right if we don't acknowledge that which is wrong. So you and I come and we say we're sinners and we acknowledge that, And the grace of God shows up every single time. There is not a time that God folds his arms, turns his back, and says, no, deal with your stuff on your own. Anytime his people or his child opens up their heart and says, God, I need your help, he always shows up. And I don't care if that's financial, emotional, uh, physical, or if it's racial. Whatever it is, God promises to show up. And what we're saying as a group of brothers right here, as a group of churches, as a group of people, we're saying, God, we're asking you to show up and use us to be the answer in the world. And that is the truth. We, we have an opportunity.
0: <laughs> we have an incredible opportunity to actually be the answer. I don't have the answer. I don't know the answer, but Jesus is the answer. And if we start the conversation, he'll finish it. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. I think the best way that we walk through this for me as a white man is to keep loving my brothers, is to keep talking to my brothers, is to keep is to keep opening my heart and my home to people. Listen, here's what I've told our church before. Look through your text messages. If you haven't texted somebody of a different color in the last week, you might want to you might want to change that. You might want to open your world up a little bit. And you may say, well, how do I do that? Get in a group, get around somebody, reach out. You know, if a man wants to have friends, he's got to show himself friendly. There are people desperate for you to be in their world. Jesus said this, John chapter 13, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another by this. Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I love you guys. I love your churches. I think it's amazing that we're able to come together. Jimmy, would you close us out in prayer, man? This has been so powerful. My hope is the people will take this conversation, share it, and let's see real change happen. Yeah, it's not going to happen overnight, and it's probably not going to happen with legislation. But where it's really going to happen is if we get people to the feet of Jesus. When I'm at the feet of Jesus, I actually see people as Jesus sees people, and it changes who I am and how I speak and how I see. So would you pray for us that God will change our hearts? Absolutely.
1: When Jesus and this woman start the conversation, he said, she says to him, uh, when he says, I, you know, I can give you a drink. She says, well, do you have a rope long enough and do you have a bucket? And I think in this time that we're in, we need to be around long enough to get to the depths of the pain. And we need to have a vessel that has the capacity to hold other people's reality. So, Father, we come to you right now and we ask God in this moment that you would be with us. God, that we would love like your son Jesus loved. That our hearts would break for the things that breaks your heart. God, yes, we want to start with diversity, but we want to end at unity. We want to be unified with you in heaven as a company, as a people together. God, that it is not our skin color that or our or our racial ethnic background or our socioeconomic status, God, that that brings us to you. But what brings us to you is our need for grace, our universal need for you to cover what we're not. So, Father, whatever what we're not, Racist, non-racist, sin, whatever has caused distance in our relationship with you. Let us first get our relationship vertically right with you so that we can get our relationship horizontally right with others. How can people know that we love you if we don't love the people that you created? Convict us, compel us, commission us in Jesus name. Amen.
0: Amen. Amen.